life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. What do I mean by biblical Welcome to Christ Like Thinking, a podcast about how Christians are engaging culture and living out Romans 12 too, which tells us do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Kathy Lentz, who is the coordinator for Literacy Missions with the Florida Baptist Convention. Literacy Missions encompasses three programs, teaching adults to read and write, tutoring children, and ESL, teaching English as a second language. Kathy's involvement began years ago when someone asked her to volunteer as a teacher in her own church's ESL program. Kathy Lentz, thank you for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. Can you tell me about what Literacy Missions is? Literacy Missions is a vehicle that the Southern Baptists have actually used for 50-plus years now. Um, since 19, I believe, 58 was one of the first times that they used literacy in reaching people who needed to know how to, to read. They were not able to read. And it started at the Baylor University training people to learn how to teach adults how to read and write. And since that time, it has grown from just teaching adult reading and writing to teaching English as a second language and to tutoring children and youth like an after-school program. So it's a vehicle that is used to engage people to meet a need, build a relationship, so that we might have opportunity to share the gospel of Christ through material, through friendship, and through testimony. Great. So how long have you been involved with Literacy Missions? I have been involved in Literacy Missions since the birth of my first daughter, who is now 24 years old. I started when she was about six months old, and I was asked to just be a volunteer and take training to be a teacher in the English as a Second Language ministry that our church offered. And I started as a teacher and then grew into the role of a director and uh, then a, a trainer, so I would be able to teach others how to become teachers. And then I, um, about five years ago, began the, the um, position of state coordinator. So I help coordinate other churches in the state of Florida interested in offering such ministries to their community. What has made you so passionate about literacy missions? I think it's the ability to truly meet a need. I think so many people in Christian life, we are surrounded by people much like ourselves in our communities. We go to church with Christians. We socialize with Christians. We have Christians in our home. And this is an opportunity to literally allow me to sit across the table from individuals that are not churched, who are not Christian, do not have Christian background, and to meet a need because they either need to learn how to read or they need to learn how to speak English. And it gives me the opportunity to really do something and to see a change and make a difference in someone's life. And how has it made a difference in your life? Well, for me, it's changed my life in so many ways because, of course, 
you know, we rely on prayer and we have to pray for ourselves to be able to communicate and to make a difference to really uh, allow this student to be able to learn and to understand the English language or to understand the material that we're presenting. It broadens me in a way that I have been able to see other cultures and the way people live, their traditions, their beliefs, see them up close and personal with their families and the way they deal with celebrations and happy times and the way we've seen them in grief through funerals and tragedies that everybody, all, you know, all humans have to deal with, but it's allowed me to, to see how other people live life in their traditions and in their cultures. So it's just really, as most teachers say, is we get more out of it sometimes than we think our students do because it's such a blessing back to be able to experience that. Right. Okay. And your experience has mostly been with English as a second language programs, right? Correct. Okay. So you mentioned a lot of the, the cultural interaction there. Can you give me an example of one way you've found that other cultures have been different and that it, it, this experience has broadened your horizon? One in particular, I think, was uh, I remember the birth uh, of one of our students uh, having a child, and we were invited over for tea, which I've now grown to understand the importance of tea is uh, in many cultures around the country more so than it is here in the United States. But we were invited over for tea, and it was a very different kind of tea. It was very thick. It was very cinnamony and and strong. And I understand now that as someone here uh, in the Jacksonville area has what she calls a tea ministry, one of the first things that she offers to her internationals when they come in is tea, is because, as she explained to us, one cup of tea means that I'm accepting you're an acquaintance. Two cups of tea means we're friends, and if you're offered the third cup of tea, you're family. <laughs> and so it's really neat to look back and, and realize that, you know, that's the significance and the importance of of having been invited into someone's home, not just to see the birth, you know, or the, the child that they had, but to to share in the celebration with their kind of tea. Right. So obviously part of literacy missions is the goal of sharing the gospel. And how important is building that relationship through culture to the eventual sharing of the gospel? It's very important because as these students come in, they're very unsure. Everything is new. Everything is different. They're having to adjust in so many ways. And so to come in and to be able to you know, have a relationship with a teacher who shows interest not only just in the, the language, but interest in their life outside of the classroom is something that, as I'm training teachers, I tell them, it's not something that they're going to find elsewhere. If these students take a class at a local community high school or in a college, they may very well learn the English language. And we use the same material that a college or a high school uses. But how we differ is that we are building relationships with them, and it's a physical demonstration of Christ's love. By us showing up week after week prepared to help these students adjust to their new environment, it's truly a demonstration of how, of how Christ loves them. And so it's an opportunity to build relationships, to gain trust, 
And as they're experiencing, like I said, these celebrations or these times of tragedy that we're there and available for them, that's where they really begin to understand that we care about them on many, so many different levels. What motivates one of these students to come and join one of these classes? Well, primarily, uh, for most, I would probably say is employment. In order for you to be able to maintain a job in uh, the United States, you have to know the language. So for most of them, it's an opportunity to better themselves for employment. It's opportunity for them to meet North American friends because for so many of them, having done this, I've also learned that many of them are not ever invited into an American's home. And so for them to have a friend and to get to know someone that is American and that has, that's a native here, for them to be able to have a friendship with them and to learn about our culture is also very inviting. So they're interested in how we live and, and how we decorate our homes and what do we cook and, and what is life for us. They're very interested in that. They're also interested in meeting other people from other countries as well because some of the strangest friendships will form in an English class because you can have students who are from different parts of the country who come around the table learning English and in no other setting would those two people be together and be civil to each other, let alone to have the opportunity of building a friendship. So it's really in many layers. It's the education, it's the relationship to, you know, a North American person, and also relationships or opportunity for friendship to people of other countries. And they also meet other people from their own country oftentimes. And so they're able to enlarge their friendships. How long does one of these classes usually last? It's usually designed for about a two-hour commitment. We we train for the average class to be an hour and a half long. And uh, like I said, we use the same materials that a college or high school would use. And we work on the first 45 minutes of introducing new vocabulary and using it in sentences and, and um, pronunciation. And the second half is communication activities where they use it to expand vocabulary that they've been introduced to and use it in conversation in a very natural setting. So it's usually about 45 minutes, first half, 45 minutes, the second half. And we advise or we recommend that in the, the middle of that is that you take a, a break where you come into a larger group time and have opportunity for uh, fellowship, refreshment, for singing. It's also the opportunity that we use that we share a spiritual truth, scripture, a devotional of some type, so that the gospel can be introduced or at least begin to be shared on some level with the students. So beyond the actual time of teaching, there's intentional time for relationship building. Yes, absolutely. Okay, and how many weeks or months does this program last? We usually use the same schedule as the school, whatever your local school is doing, because many of the volunteers have children who are involved in the schools. The students have children who are involved in school. So we recommend that you do the same calendar as your local public school would be. Um, how many people are in a normal class? 
It depends on the level. The lower levels, we recommend fewer people. And an average class, we would say, as far as a beginner, you might uh, have 6 to 12 people enrolled in that class. And then the higher the level, the more uh, ability that a student has, the number of students can increase because they're able to understand better. But on the very low level, someone is, who is new to the country and new to the language, um, not very many students just because of the opportunity of speaking decreases with the number of students. And the best way to learn English is through conversation, is speaking it. Right. Okay, so how many different levels are there? Again, it depends upon the number of students who come. We usually recommend three to four levels, but if you have the number of teachers available, you can have as many levels as you have, you know, you have students. So it really depends on how many volunteers or how many teachers you might have trained uh, for your students. Okay. You mentioned people coming into these programs largely for employment, but also for building social relationships. Do churches typically have to work hard to go and find students, or is there this great supply of students and not enough churches? It depends upon the area. When I go around uh, and visit the different churches who are offering these classes, I always take a map with me, and I show the the outline of Florida, and I show the different cities and areas that have churches who are offering classes. And I always point, and I say, you see down at the very tip of Florida, around the Miami, South Florida area, I said, you don't see many dots representing churches who have English classes there. I said, why do you think that is? And most students or some of them will laugh because they're well aware of the fact that in South Florida there are so many people who speak either Creole from Haiti or who speak um, Spanish. They have their own world and they're surrounded with people who speak Spanish or they speak Creole and they don't think they need the language. So not many of those internationals would necessarily go to a class if you offered it because they don't sense the need. The further up that you go in Florida, the greater the need, because the further you get away from South Florida, the less Spanish-speaking or the less Creole, perhaps, that you would have, and they understand the needs for the English classes. I had a, a man who laughed when I, I uh, shared that in one of the, the churches, and he came up to me afterwards, and he said, I lived there for 10 years, and I never needed to speak English. Then I moved to Ocala, Florida, and in order to get a job, I needed English, so I came to the classes. So it depends upon the area that uh, the churches may be. The most surprising thing is just about anywhere in Florida, you could probably find a need for someone who needs to speak English, whether it be professionals or if it's migrant workers. There's there are international non-English speakers in all areas of our state. So if the opportunities are there, a lot of times it's transportation and those kind of things that would hinder um, someone from being able to come. Okay. Well, you mentioned the fact that as you go further north, the need for English increases and therefore the little dots on your map increase. But I would think there's also probably a stereotype that as you go further north in the state, 
native-born Americans might be less interested or inclined toward helping immigrants. Is, is that true, or is that just a stereotype that really you have not found? I have not found that. If a lot of churches become aware of the fact that they're international and in their community, and there is, as someone has described it, the best-kept secret in uh, our Baptist denomination is that we actually have training and we have ability to give you the skills of how to teach. Most of these churches or individuals are very interested in helping. It sometimes just takes an awareness to let people understand that they're there because so often these internationals are really invisible because we don't have friendships with them because we do not cross their paths necessarily. We're not in the same social settings or same social circles. And for so many of them, the reason for the ministry is because these are not individuals who are going to come to your church on a typical Sunday morning or any other time that you offer services because they don't understand the language. So how do you go about raising awareness? If opportunity given, I'll go and share. And uh, even through the North American Mission Board, there is a, a website that divides by zip code the people groups and the different languages that are spoken in an area. So sometimes just looking up your zip code through this um, this means, you can find out how many people speak different languages in your area. And most times people are very surprised to find out there's any particular or one particular language spoken in their community because we just, again, we do not have opportunity to fellowship or to to uh, associate with them, so we're, we're just not aware of them, and they're and they're not people who are going to be, you know, pressing themselves into your world. So they're they're kind of invisible, you know. We don't realize the need that's out there until we kind of open our eyes or ask God to open our eyes to see these people around us, and then people are surprised that, you know, I started noticing, you know, when I went to. Uh, Walmart one night, or if I was in this area, of t- you know, then they start noticing that they're indeed there, but we just haven't made ourselves aware of them. As you're saying, the different groups are all around, but we don't notice them. And then once we have some awareness, all of a sudden that we start mm-hmm. noticing, you know, the people that we should be reaching out to. Right. How many churches in Florida offer some sort of literacy mission program? It's probably around 40 who are communicating to us, and and uh, we're trying to assist with further training beyond the basic training to uh, to keep their skill levels up and to keep us in good company as far as our abilities next to a college or a high school of uh, having our teachers readily prepared to teach English. Okay. Uh, you also mentioned earlier that you, the curriculum you use is pretty much the same that uh, – non-religious organization would use. So how is your program different from one at a high school or a community college? Well, the only way that it's different is um, I would say the classes are probably smaller. There's more opportunity for a student to actually speak, which is a better way of learning. But we are intentional in the lesson planning is in that we advise or ask that at some point in time that perhaps you use a Bible story to teach English lessons from. It's not something that 
we are advising or encouraging them to do every single week unless it is an advertised Bible class, that it's English lessons from the Bible. But if it's a, a normal class that's offered during the weekday or weeknight that we advertise English classes, then it's the same publishers, the same materials that you would find in a, a high school or a community college. Usually the materials written for classes that meet five days a week, and that's why we usually have about two hours, and so we adapt the material to a lesson plan that's pretty well balanced. The difference would be is that during the large group time is that we offer the, the spiritual application or devotional, and that we seek out trying to make um, friendships and and connections to our students and to their families. Okay, so what would you consider a successful outcome for somebody coming into one of these classes? One story that I have goes way back from one of the first times that I was directing. And a family came in, and we were doing the interview with the mom and the son and went through the, the uh, application process of just basic information, name, address, and that kind of thing. And she had her son with her that day because he had not been enrolled in school yet. And I was asking her, well, how old is your son? And she looked at me, and then she looked back at her son a little puzzled, and it occurred to them on that day that he was 13. It was his, birth it was his birthday. They had just been so busy and hurried to come over and get settled that they hadn't even realized it was his birthday. And what had happened is this family had come over. She was from Uruguay, and she had married an American, and he was um, had been diagnosed with cancer. And they had brought this family over to the United States because he knew that at his passing they would be better off to be here than in uh, the country of Uruguay. So he had brought her and their two children over. Well, the mother was enrolled in a beginner class, and the teacher became very close with her, teaching English, but also helping her and then finding a job, finding childcare and daycare and, and reliable help in that way. And her son, the student's son, was the same age as the teacher who had children, same age as her children. And he became a, a good friend to them. And went on family vacations, and really took part in that family. And as a result, this young boy became very active in the youth ministry at the church and ended up making a profession of faith, becoming a believer in Christ. It's those kind of things that you see that it not only affects the student who is in your classroom, but if you have an opportunity to affect an entire family, that's success. Because what is so unique about this family is that had they not come to a church seeking free English classes, they might have never heard the gospel. And their lives could have been totally different, especially for a teenage boy coming into this country and all the things that this culture today in America is dominated with, with things on TV and the, the, the culture that is not so healthy for many teenagers today, but to have him have an opportunity to choose differently because there was an option for them and to seek out help for their physical needs from a church. And that's what is so 
wonderful and so unique is that to have an opportunity to help someone to better themselves and to equip themselves to be able to adapt to a country and to a culture that's so very different from them and to end that have a relationship and a friendship not only with her teacher but one that turns into an eternal decision is um, is very rewarding and is is what we're there for so how do you clearly differentiate Christianity from Americanism for many of our students who are coming over they associate and believe that America is a Christian country but yet they see even before arriving here they all know what MTV is and they see images and hear things that are from America but are not Christ-like and so as we are instructing and training our teachers we explain to them that Christianity is quite different from being an American because while many people believe coming here that America is a Christian country, they see behaviors and lifestyles that are anything but Christ-like. And so we always say to make certain that they understand that the model is Christ and that many things that they're going to be exposed to and see and hear are not Christian and that the difference is evident in many other ways, you know, hopefully modeled through the teachers and through what they see in the um, in the culture of, of a Christian view versus what they might see, you know, out in their neighborhoods, you know, or at the movies or wherever else they find themselves. So what, what qualities are necessary for a good ESL teacher in a literacy mission? We say that if you can speak English, you can teach English. However, there is some skill involved that we encourage that anyone who is interested in becoming a teacher of ESL, that they attend a 14-and-a-half-hour training that we offer. We do recommend and advise that if um, you're inviting or asking someone to be a teacher and it is a church-based ministry, that they be a Christian so that, again, we have opportunity to share Christ with the students who come into their classroom. And it's not something that we are aggressive about, but that we certainly take serious. And we ask that the uh, teachers be purposeful and intentional, but not to be overly aggressive or um, overly eager to have students make decisions that for some cultures is very difficult because becoming a, a Christian or a believer for some cultures means turning your back on your family. And in some, time, in some ways, that can be even a dangerous thing for someone to do. And in other religions, there are people who the more gods they have, the, the happier, the better they think they are. So it's a very uh, delicate thing to be careful as to inviting someone from different cultures, inviting them to hear the gospel, that they completely understand what that means. So we do ask our teachers to be Christian, and we do ask for them to be trained so that they are equipped and that they are uh, teaching with a quality class. So I'd say those are the two primary um, requirements of a teacher. So if a church was interested in getting involved in an ESL program, what would the church do? First thing I would say is uh, if you have leadership or you have someone who is interested in beginning um, 
a literacy missions or an ESL ministry or tutoring, adult reading and writing, uh, whichever, is to uh, have a meeting to uh, see who's interested and how many people are truly committed to doing this because it does take time. And we do ask that it's something that uh, in order to have more impact, you don't just you know stand across the table from someone and teach English, but that you understand that you need to be available to these students for the variety of things that they might have issues with or needs with. Start with a meeting and uh, find out who's truly interested and committed to this. And then I would arrange for um, some training. And that is something that we offer. There's different trainers throughout the state of Florida we have that are regionally available so that we can get to you uh, with a reasonable amount of time. But it's generally a 14 and a half hour training that uh, gives someone the, the skills or what we would say the certification to teach in the uh, volunteer ministry. What challenges do churches typically run into as they're trying to start a program? I would say enough volunteers that you have um, a good, strong foundation because oftentimes you might be interested and um, there's fallout with anything. And so for people to start in this as a teacher, we really, really ask uh, that someone know the cost and that they're committed to doing that. When I say cost, I mean time, because the last thing that you want to do is to have an international come in and midway through the year or a few months into it, you decide that it's not for you or you're too busy or there's something else that is taking your time. So I would say finding truly committed volunteers who are willing to make themselves available routinely throughout the, the year for teaching. So I would say volunteers is one of the, the bigger things. Another challenge is sometimes childcare because a lot of this internationals who are coming, if it's mothers who are at home while husbands are out and it's a, uh, a ministry that happens or occurs during the day, many times it's the, the uh, only time their children are left. And so to have child care workers who can take care of the children while the, the parent is in the classroom is uh, a need and often a difficult one to, to fill because these children don't speak the language and they're not usually left. And so it's, um, it's a scary thing for them. And so sometimes it takes a very loving and patient person who can provide the child care for the parents while they're in um, in the English classes. So a typical church that, that you have involved, you mentioned about 40 of them that you know of. What kind of size range do these churches usually fit into? They are all sizes. So it really doesn't matter the size of the congregation. If they have a heart for uh, ministering to the internationals in their community, if they have a sense of call and purpose to do it, then um, then it'll happen. It's not a matter of, of, I don't think, of how many are in the, the pool of people to recruit because I think it's a calling. And so, um, I, like I said, a lot of teachers, once they have gotten into this ministry, they really, the comment is, I found it. And it's that sense of finding what they've really been looking for for God to use them. And uh, like I said, it's a two-way blessing. And so 
when you find the right people, it's a wonderful thing for both teacher and student. Many times you had asked earlier about recruiting, whether the students just show up. Word of mouth is truly the best way. If you have a, a good, solid program and you have good teachers, word of mouth, they will bring other students with them. And that's the best way, as we tell teachers that the students will vote with their feet and they will, they're as busy as we are. And if they are um, not being taught and they're not learning, they're not likely to come back. So that's why we really recommend the training and to be equipped before starting um, a class. But recruiting sometimes uh, requires a little time because it takes a while to, as anything, to get anything off the ground and running. But we've suggested business cards go into any of the businesses that are in your community, the nail care places, the, uh, the restaurants, the grocery stores, apartment complexes, where oftentimes um, the management there is very happy to place a flyer in the new packets of, of new residents or in the laundromats, those kind of places that you know uh, internationals will be uh, purchasing things or where they live and are, are coming and going throughout a day is the best place for advertising because, you know, newspaper, those kind of things is not likely the best way anymore to advertise. Once a student starts the class and is going through, and you mentioned this, going through an entire school year, um, are there frequently problems or challenges for the students that come up that interfere with their classes? Work. It's a good thing, and it's a um, it's one of the bittersweet is that teaching them, you're obviously hoping that they're going to be able to better themselves and, and um find work or find better work. And so oftentimes work schedules change or transportation is oftentimes unreliable. So that causes a hindrance. And it's the nature of the beast is, is many times these students who are coming in, they move and they move for a variety of reasons. And sometimes it's relocating for new jobs. And sometimes they're here for a window of time. If they're here with uh, in Jacksonville, there's the Mayo Clinic. So you have students who are spouses of some of the doctors who come over or researchers who come over, and they return back to their native country. And so they may start and may not be able to finish out a year because of relocating. So sometimes that's an issue as far as the uh, fluctuation of students in uh, a program or a ministry. If people who aren't involved with ESL programs, just wanted to pray for ESL programs, what would they pray about? What do you think they should be praying about? I suggest for anyone who's willing to pray would be is that if there are internationals in communities that we would become aware of them or that the churches would become aware of them, that the um, people in our churches would not only then become aware of them, but they have a heart for them and understand that they have real needs and they're real people and they have emotions and feelings and um, they hurt and they have all the same things that, that we deal with in trying to live and, and survive and raise a family. 
So first, just to be aware of them and then to have a have a heart for them. And then I'd say move to the next level of it, that people would be willing to set aside the time to really make a difference and to uh, make themselves available to uh, help teach, to make someone's life better, and to have the opportunity of sharing Christ's love with them. It really is a perfect fit for what I think that your desire of, of Romans 12 to be. And it's, and it's, you know, in part when I said it's, it's both for the student and the teacher is because as the teacher is learning, we are too. And it was one of the most surprising things for me when I became involved because after I had a, a child, I assumed that I would probably go into nursery and then the children and then the youth and follow my my children as they came up in the the variety of stages that they go through and work in those ministries and I did I did my fair share of vacation Bible school and teaching children Sunday school and those kind of things but whenever I was asked to teach and teach adults and when I came in it was so different and it was so enjoyable and pleasurable because what I found was it stimulated myself, so I was learning and growing as an adult and not just staying on a, a child's level, which oftentimes we do as, as new moms. And whenever I was able to see the gratification, because for so many people, we have our, as you said earlier, stereotypes, and we often think that these internationals who come over here are not interested in working or they're not interested in becoming U.S. citizens. And when you find out just how hard working most of the internationals that have come across my path, and I've been doing this for 24 years, they are some of the most appreciative people I have ever seen. They're the most grateful people I have ever seen. And they work the hardest of anyone I've ever seen. And when you see that, you want to help. And you feel such a, um, a sense of, of accomplishment and a, a sense of pleasure and joy to have both your mind stimulated, to be teaching someone something that they really need and is applicable to their life, and to know that it is all still a part of God's purpose. And it's a way of, when the scripture says, for God so loved the world, and you look into the faces of all these different internationals, and you can have 12 different countries, 12 different languages in one ministry that's even small, to see that God so loved the world coming to you, and that you have a part of being able to love through him the world, it is very gratifying. I just saw the scripture that you have your broadcast, you know, trying to expose is really what we're all about. Yeah, I can hardly think of a better way to explain it than what you just did. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me. Okay, thank you for calling. As Kathy Lentz said, Literacy Missions is a well-kept secret, yet just in the state of Florida, there are about 40 Southern Baptist churches with ministries to teach English as a second language. Plus, there are many more teaching reading and writing to children and adults who struggle with English literacy. 
and that's just among Southern Baptist churches. In my own community, a Presbyterian church has a great ministry tutoring children in a low-income neighborhood near downtown, and an independent homeless ministry provides education and job training to adults and tutoring to their children. On one hand, as Kathy said, many people in our communities are invisible to us. Yet, once you become aware of them, you suddenly notice how much need there is all around us, how many opportunities there are to show God's love. She mentioned the North American Missions Board has a website to look up information on what people groups and languages are spoken in your area. That website is peoplegroups.info. And as I looked up information on my own neighborhood, I found there are people from 45 different countries, including places such as Pakistan, Romania, Taiwan, Ukraine, and Vietnam. One of the things I heard from Kathy was that she sees literacy missions as both an avenue for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and an avenue for Christ-like service. If you read the Gospels, Jesus met the physical and spiritual needs of people. His physical ministries were not contingent upon people's spiritual commitment, but his physical ministries also never came without revealing spiritual truth. In that way, literacy missions are very Christ-like. Before signing off, I'd also like to thank Shai Lin, who gave permission for his song, Biblical Theology, to be used in this podcast. You can check out Shai Lin through his blog at lyricaltheology.blogspot.com. Thank you for listening to Christlike Thinking. We'd love to hear your feedback, so feel free to send an email to christlikethinking at gmail.com. And join us in two weeks when we'll have another episode of Christlike Thinking. Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. What do I mean by biblical theology?